If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah 17. Uh, we are in the midst of a new sermon series that we just started last week that we've entitled Being Made New. And the thinking behind this sermon series, where we're going in this series, is this. We've been saying that the world around us is so crazy right now. And we can't control the things that happen in other countries or in our own capital or even in our own community. But as Christians, we do have some control over our response to all the craziness between factions and friends and family. So in this sermon series, we're asking questions like this. We're asking, how can I become all God wants me to be in the midst of these crazy circumstances where God has us right now? We're asking questions like that. We're asking questions like, how can I get to the place where I'm being made new? And we're going to talk about that today. That's what the sermon series is about. Here's where our focus is today. In order to get to that place where we can be made new, we have to believe that it is possible that we can be made new. And a lot of times we agree with that as a concept, but as I talk to individual people, sometimes folks will confide in me. They will say, hey, listen, I, I can't change. That's just who I am. I've always been this way. That's just my temperament. I was born this way. I'm wired this way. Sometimes they even have temperament tests that seem to confirm to them this is who they are, and they're just always going to be that way. Some folks say, it's just the family that I came up in. They blame their family of origin. They say, you know, my dad was that way and his dad was that way and I'm just like all the, the barber men in my case, right? Lisa was in a women's Bible study and I love to hear her tell the story. There was this, you know, lady, the old southern accent and she said, my mother was like this, her mother was like this. That's just how we are, right? So some of us, we believe that way. And some folks, we even spiritualize this idea. And we take a verse like Jeremiah 17, 9, that we're going to start there today. And, and sometimes people will quote this verse to me, and they'll say, listen, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So there's no way that somebody like me can change. I'm always going to have this struggle. Listen to me. Temperament is real. We do come into the world born a certain way. Psalm 139, right? That God knit me together while I was in my mother's womb. They, children come wired a certain way. We did the same one with each one of ours, and they're all different, right? So temperament is real. Family of origin is real. The family we grow up in does impact us in real ways. We do. I believe that we have constitutional sins. There are some things about us that are true that we're probably going to struggle with until Jesus comes back and makes all things new. We are going to have some sins that are constitutional sins that we're going to struggle with. And Jeremiah 17.9 is true of some people. It is true that for some folks the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But... That is not the whole story. And so I want us to remember, as we come and begin this sermon series, I want us to remember the whole story. Because we are, as the people of God, being made new. And it's important that we don't get focused on one thing and forget the entire... That's not even the end of the story in Jeremiah, as we're going to see today. 
So let's just take a minute and remember the story together. Do you remember the story? If you remember the story, you know that our story does not begin with sin. And when I say story, I hope you understand. I don't mean that it's fiction. I just mean this is the plot, right? This is the way things are in the world. Our story did not begin with sin. Our story does not begin with hearts bent away from God. You may recall in the very beginning, God made all things out of nothing by the power of his word in the space of six days and all very good. God, after he creates men and women, he says that it's very good. God created men and women in his image with a great beauty, great glory, great complexity, and great dignity, all of which we still have within us, even to this day, even in our sin and brokenness. Now, it is true. There was a fall. Men and women ate the fruit that God said not to eat. We chose to trust in ourselves instead of trusting in God. We have declared our own independence instead of dependence on God. So although God made us good, although he made us in his image with great beauty and glory and complexity and dignity, we have marred that image of God in us by going our own way. And that self-centeredness, that independence from God, that dependence on self, that idea of going our own way, we see how that self-centeredness has led to all the things, the brokenness that we see in the world today. It's led to shame. It's led to fear. It's led to blame. In our self-centeredness, it's led to rivalry. It has led, our self-centeredness has led to our seeking our own superiority. It's led to putting ourselves first and putting others down. Those are the obvious results of our sin as we look at the world around us. And Jeremiah 17, 9 is true of fallen people. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And without a change in our hearts... The pattern of being bent away from God and toward ourselves, leading to all sorts of human wickedness. Without God intervening and giving us new hearts, we are doomed to have that cycle repeat over and over and over again. And we've seen that in the history of humanity. Inventing new ways to kill one another. Inventing new ways to exalt ourselves. And it continues unless we get a new heart. But the story doesn't end there. God had a plan to change our hearts and to stop that cycle of sin and self-centeredness that we've seen over and over again in human history. That's God's plan. So Jeremiah 17.9 is not the end of the story. In fact, it's not even the end of Jeremiah. Keep reading the story. Keep reading even in Jeremiah. If you have your Bible, turn over with me to Jeremiah 31. Chapter 31, down in verse 31, God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and God says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now he says the time is coming. He's announcing his plan. He's saying the time is, coven is coming because this is 600 years before Jesus appears on the earth in the flesh. Jeremiah's prophesying. God's speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. God's announcing his plan. And his plan is a new covenant with his people. What's the new covenant? Let's keep reading. Verse 32. God says, It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. You see, the old covenant was when God led his people out of their bondage of slavery in Egypt, and he brings them out to Mount Sinai. And in that old covenant, he gives them the law so that we're not doomed to our own self-centeredness. God says, this is the way to live. I'm the creator. I made all things. I know how life is supposed to be lived. I know how life goes best. Here is the safe path. Here is the way you were designed to live. And he gave the law on Mount Sinai. God showed people the way. But the problem was, we had that same heart that was bent away from God and toward ourselves. And although we knew the right way, we didn't walk in God's ways, even when he made it clear, even when he made the path clear. And so he says, this new covenant's not going to be like the old covenant because you broke the old covenant. You didn't walk in my ways. So what's new about the new covenant? Let's keep reading. Verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. He goes on in verse 34 to talk about how he will forgive our wickedness and remember our sins no more. That's the new covenant. We tend to focus on the forgive our sins and remember our iniquity no more, right? But look what's new about the new covenant. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. In the old covenant, God wrote the laws on stone tablets, but without a change in our heart, and so the people did not follow God's law. But in the new covenant, God promises that he will write his law in our hearts and minds. The law that had existed outside of us now lives inside of us. This is important to understand because there are people who will tell you that the new covenant, that new covenant believers don't have to worry about the law anymore. That's not what this says. We don't have to keep the law in order to be made right with God. That's true. But it's not true that, we, that the new covenant people of God don't worry about the law anymore. In fact, what this is saying is the new covenant people of God care about the law more than the old covenant people did. Because God's written in our minds and in our hearts, and we have a desire to walk in God's ways. We saw that last week, if you were with us. Ezekiel 36 and verse 26, the prophet Ezekiel said that God promised through that prophet to give us a new heart. He would take away our heart of stone. He would give us a heart of flesh that would have new desires, new wants, that we would desire to follow God's law and walk in his ways. Last week, we saw Paul evidence what that looks like in a New Covenant Christian as we looked in Romans chapter 7. 
And we saw there in Romans 7 and verse 22 where, where Paul said, For I, in my inner being I delight in God's law. That's the law written on our hearts. Now he said, I don't have the ability in my flesh and myself to carry it out. Because this flesh is warring against me. But he shows what the new heart looks like. That, that he wants to do what's right even though he often does what's wrong. That in his inner being, he delights in God's law. Go back and listen to the sermon from last week. I don't want to preach that one again. The point is, in the new covenant, God gives his people a new heart that desires to walk in his ways. And I'm so glad that we come to the Lord's table today because nowhere is it more apparent that we are the new covenant people of God than when we come to the Lord's table. You'll recall in Luke 22 in verse 20, when Jesus is there at the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he says, this cup is what? The new covenant in my blood. And so Jesus institutes the new covenant at that time. And after he says that to his disciples, what does he do? He leaves, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's arrested. And he's tried. And he's convicted of bogus charges in a Roman court, and then he's sentenced to die the death penalty, and he's hung on a Roman cross. And by the shedding of his blood, yes, he pays for our sin so that we don't have to take the punishment. He's taken the punishment for our sin. But you know that's not the end of the story. Three days later, he rises from the grave. And he is raised up by the Spirit of God. And if you read at the end of Ephesians 1 and the beginning of Ephesians 2, we're told that as New Covenant Christians, that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in our hearts, raising us from our deadness to God and allowing us to live in ways that please Him. So Jesus has accomplished the new covenant for his people. He's made it possible for us to walk in God's ways, which is why Hebrews 12 and verse 24 tells us that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. And that means that if you're in Christ Jesus, he has paid for your sin, but he's also given you a new heart, as God promised to do in Jeremiah 31. And that changes everything. Let's talk about how it changes things. Maybe you've heard the good news of the gospel before. But how does that change stuff on a daily basis? Here's how it changes stuff. When we place our faith in Jesus, yes, our sins are forgiven. We will go to heaven in the future. And that gives us peace now because we're assured we will go to heaven when we die. And most of us end our good news of the gospel right there. Sin's forgiven. I'm going to heaven in the future. And so I'm just kind of waiting around now until it's time to go. Right? I have peace now because I have assurance I'm going to heaven but many of us end our presentation of the gospel right there but I want you to know the good news of the gospel is better than that the good news of the gospel is not just that your sins past present present and future are forgiven and that you're going to heaven the good news of the gospel is you're being made new now that God is working in our hearts so that more and more we die to sin and live as Jesus lived. God gives us a new heart so that our hearts that were bent away from God before Christ are now bent toward God because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Let's keep going. Why, is that, why does that make a difference in my life practically? Well, the first way it makes a difference is this. 
It means that for those who are in Christ Jesus, it is wrong to say, I cannot be made new. That's just how I am. You can't change it. You can't say, that's just my temperament. That's just my family of origin. I'm, I, that's just how God made me. No. Are we saying that the finished work of Christ on the cross, that his shed blood applied to our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us is unable to overcome my temperament? Absolutely not. That adoption into the family of God cannot overcome what I experienced in my family of origin? Absolutely God does that in his children. And he changes us, not one day when Jesus comes back, but we're being made new even now. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, God has given us a new heart with new wants, with new desires. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is desperately wicked. It's deceptive above all things. That was once true of us. But for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, Jeremiah 31 is our story. That God's taken away our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh and that he's written his law on our hearts so that we have a desire to walk in his ways. That's an important difference. Because if you are adopted into God's family, then that means you have a new heart, a good heart. That means in the deepest part of who you are, you have new desires, new wants, new delights, that you want to love God and walk in his ways. This is so hard for us to understand, especially if you have sort of more of a reformed background. If you come from that stream, we talk about total depravity. And I want you to understand what that means. That means not that we're as bad as we possibly could be. <laughs> but by the grace of God, that is not what it means, right? We're not as bad as we could be. Total depravity means that sin has affected every part of us, that there's not a part of me that's not affected by sin, that yes, my mind is affected by sin, that my will and the choices I make are affected by sin, that my emotions, my affections, that, the, that they're affected by sin. That's what total depravity means. In every part of my being, sin has affected me. But listen, if you were in Christ Jesus, even though sin has affected those things... We are a new creation, and we now have a good heart. And now that's why that war takes place. It's because we desire something new. We want to do what's right, even though many times we fall short. If you struggle with that, listen, let me just show you a few passages of Scripture. If you are a Christian, this is what the Bible says is true of you. First, Christ lives in you, Galatians 2.20, right? I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you are a believer, Christ lives in you by his Spirit. If you're a Christian, you are a new person, a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. What else is true of us? God has purified you or cleansed you from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9 says that, right? If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does that mean we don't have sin in our lives anymore? Absolutely not. Read 1 John 1, verse 8 and verse 10, right before and right after this verse, tells us 
that if we claim to be without sin, we lie, and we're not honest with ourselves or with God. But that if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just and will cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness and make us new. If you're a Christian, your heart is alive to God. Read Romans 6, verse 11, all the way down to 17. When you get to 17, it says that we walk in God's ways, that we wholeheartedly follow the law. Or the ESV, that's the NIV, the ESV says that we follow God's law out of the overflow of our hearts, that our hearts are changed and allow us to walk in God's ways. If you're a Christian, you have a good and noble heart. Now, when I first heard that, I was like, is that true? Is that right? I'm not sure. Because the heart is deceitfully wicked, right? And deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But that's Jesus talking in Luke 8, 15 in the parable of the sower. And he says that some of the seed that's thrown out that falls on the good soil that produces fruit, he interprets that parable and he says that that seed... That when the word of God goes forth and it produces fruit in people's lives, that that soil are those who have a good and noble heart. That there is such a group of people who receive God's word and then produce fruit and flourish because they've been given a new heart. Because they desire to walk in his way. So if you are in Christ Jesus, you have a good and noble heart, Jesus says in Luke chapter 8. Listen, your flesh, your sinful nature, that sin living in you that we talked about last week is not your true identity. Sin no longer defines you. It is no longer your deepest desire. Now, I want to be clear. What we talked about last week, Romans 7 is still true. Romans 7 reminds us that our flesh is alive and well, that it wages war against our new heart and our new mind and our new desires. That when we want to do right, or we said last week, especially when we want to do something godly, your flesh will war against you. But the question is, why do you want to do what's right? Why do you delight in God's law? Because God's given you a new heart. Because he's changed you from the inside out. Our flesh is no longer the core of our identity. It is no longer who we are in Christ. In fact, beneath our sinful appetites and desires is a legitimate God-given desire from a new God-given heart. We often think all we want is more sex or more money or more power or more popularity. But listen, there is something inside you that actually wants more than that, something deeper than that. All those things are just longings for significance Longing for affection, longing for intimacy, longing to know that we matter. And all those things are legitimate God-given desires that are fulfilled ultimately and most deeply in Christ himself. As C.S. Lewis says, it's not that our desires are too strong and we need to pull them back. Oh, Christian, our desires are too weak. We're too easily satisfied. We think, that, we think that sex, drugs, rock and roll, buying something else on Home Shopping Network is going to fill the void, but it doesn't. We're going to sing in a minute. All other ground is sinking sand. I learned much about this new heart in a book that I've taken 
several of the guys through here at our church. It's a book called Surfing for God by Michael John Cusick, Discovering the Divine Desire Beneath Sexual Struggle. It is a book about internet pornography and overcoming that, that, that lust which is present in many men. Uh, but I've told the guys that I've taken through this book, listen, this is not just a manual for overcoming lust and internet pornography. It, it's specifically about that, but this is just the pattern to struggle with any kind of sin. <laughs> this is the way we're going to fight sin for the rest of our lives. And so, yes, it's good in this area. If that's a place you feel the struggle most acutely, great. But this book shows us how to overcome sin. The author is so honest. I think that's one of the reasons it's so good. He's a licensed psychologist himself. He's a Christian counselor. But he tells the story in this book about how he was doing a postgraduate internship under Christian author and psychologist Larry Crabb. So he had this great position. He's a postgraduate intern, and he got some time with Larry Crabb, and he goes to him and tells him. He says, I'm really, really struggling with lust and wanting to look at pornography. And then he tells you, the reader, by then I had done a whole lot more than that, but I was just being, you know, telling Larry Crabb a little bit of my story. And so he says that Larry could see I was torn over my struggle, so he asked me some probing questions about my life story and sexual history. Because temperament is real. <laughs> because family of origin does affect us. Listen, when I talk to the being, I'm not saying those things aren't valid. I'm saying they're, they're not an excuse to say we can't change, but those things do affect us. The devil knows your temperament. <laughs> he knows your story and how you've been hurt and how you're vulnerable, so we need to know those things too. And so... Crab asked him about those things. The author says, at the end of our conversation, he caught me totally off guard. He, Larry Crab says to him, if what you really want to do is look at porn, then go ahead and look at porn. The guy says, yeah, right, like I'm really going to do that. He said, Larry Crab just looked at me dead serious and repeated himself, if what you really want is to look at porn and masturbate, then go ahead and do it. And he said, I, I launched back. And I know this must be some kind of reverse psychology you're trying on me or something. He said, but I don't get it. Why are you telling me to go ahead and look at porn and masturbate? He said, I hit my fist on the desk and said, that's not what I want to do. Larry Crabb's eyes sparkled with delight. Exactly, he said. That's the point. Looking at pornography and masturbating is not what you really want to do. The author writes, I was speechless. Could it really be true? Despite my out-of-control passions, could a passion for God inside me run deeper than my desire for sex and porn? For the first time in my life, I felt truly hopeful that my heart was not defined by lust, that something good, noble, and godly dwelled within me that was not based upon my performance, faithfulness, or even my resistance to temptation. I discovered that day what scripture describes as my new heart. That's what we're talking about. That we can be made new because God gives us a new heart. Listen, friends. If Jesus lives in you, then you are forgiven of your sin. You are going to heaven and you can have that assurance now. But also right now, you can be made new because you have a new heart. You have a new identity. You have a new nature. You have new desires. Your desires are to do what is right and what is good. You have a desire in you stronger than your desire for sin. 
You have a desire for loving God and walking in his ways, which means being made new is possible for us as believers. I hope you'll keep going with us through this sermon series as we talk about the ways we can be made new. But it starts with believing that it's possible. And God assures us in his word that it is. Let's pray and ask him to give us great assurance of that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the new covenant. We thank you that you don't leave us just telling us the right way to go, but that you empower us to walk in your ways by giving us a new heart and sending your spirit. I pray that you would help us to celebrate that and remember what you have done for us as we come to the table together. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.